This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Mixed Martial Arts Podcast brought to you by ESPN Plus, the home of UFC 258. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Roto Jake. Today we're going to be making our picks for the biggest fights at UFC 258, Usman versus Burns. John's got his DraftKings preview up on the site already. We've got some betting content up there on the site. There's a whole new betting section on RotoWire. You just want to check on the uh, sports betting section at the top. And we got some of the best odds listed from a variety of uh, sportsbook partners here. Uh, I, I think it's really cool. My favorite is the first round finish prop that we're going to probably refer to a couple times here on this show um and other than that uh, you know we're going to take care of your pay- main card needs here but uh fight iq guys are going to be back on friday night uh, at the same time on the rotowire youtube channel to run down all of these uh all of these fights here and uh, of course if you're listening to this show subscribe to the rotowire podcast uh you get all that content as well but uh let's jump in well before we jump into ufc 258 uh we got to touch on Conor McGregor, John. He fell in pretty epic fashion here. I mean, how'd you react to that one? And I, I guess what's next for him, and and what's next for the lightweight division? It's it's a good question. Um, I think whatever is next for the lightweight division certainly has to obviously include Dustin Poirier, um, given what he just did to McGregor. But uh, I think yeah, I think how McGregor lost is certainly a big deal. Um, you know, his act and his popularity really only works if you're winning fights and if you're getting smashed like that um it's not going to be as effective so um i'm interested to see what's next it's certainly the deepest um division in the sport and there's no doubt that anything they decide to do moving forward has to include dustin poirier um you know you got charles Oliveira in there somewhere you got uh, you obviously saw what Michael Chandler did to Dan Hooker. So there are a bunch of different options. But, um, yeah, it's certainly it remains to be seen what happens there and with McGregor. It's probably a couple of the uh, 
bigger questions that are unanswered as we get into the meat of 2021 here. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking they got to do – I mean, Michael Chandler was awesome. Nothing against him. He came out and stormed in. But Oliveira's earned a shot at this point. I think you got to do Dustin and Oliveira. Let the winner fight Chandler if he wants to wait on the sidelines. If Chandler wants to you know, take a shot at Ferguson or even Connor or something like that, they could do that in between depending on how active Connor wants to be. And then, of course – there's Connor Nate three, the trilogy fight that's on the table. I mean, you figured once Connor lost a few, you know, that that would start to come into play again. They kind of got to even that out. So I could see the UFC trying that too. Yeah, that's certainly an option. And actually, I think at this point, you know, there's no way you can really realistically and fairly insert Connor into the title position, given what we've seen from him lately. So, you know, maybe that is the route you go. Just make a bunch of money and try and get him back on track. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about what they should do. They could just as easily run Connor Dustin back and call that a trilogy too, if that's what both guys want. So that would that I don't think that's right, but that wouldn't shock me at all if they tried to do that. No, their ultimate goal obviously is you know they're a company. Their ultimate goal is to make money, <laughs> and if that's what they think will make the most money, then we talk about it all the time. That's what they're going to do. All right. Well, Connor can't dominate every MMA discussion. We just wanted to touch on that because that was the last card, the last time we sat t- down here and uh, spoke with each other here. But let's get to UFC 258. There is a, uh, a, a just an amazing champion. Kamaru Usman has uh, just astounded me with uh, his skill set. He seems like one of the most complete mixed martial artists on the entire roster. He's going to be going up against Gilbert Burns, who uh, I see him in a similar light as Oliveira, I guess. He deserves this uh, opportunity quite a bit with the win streak that he's been on. Um Usman favored in this fight, minus 280, comeback on Burns, plus 240. DraftKings salaries reflect that accordingly. Usman at 9,000, Burns at 7,200. Oddly enough, uh, odds to finish on this are plus 110, so Vegas sees this one could go the final bell. I mean, both these fighters are skilled enough that they could ultimately match each other here. Uh, I guess I, I want to know, like, Who's your pick here? I think you know. I think I can guess the pick. I think he's going to be pretty close to unanimous when we run down staff picks. But uh, if you are picking Usman to get it done, how do you think he does it, and how do you think he scores from a fantasy standpoint? It's funny. Um, this is like a fight that I have very little feel for, which is odd considering you got two guys we've seen a decent amount of. Um, they've been trying to get this thing done for. The better part of seven plus months, they were, Usman and Burns were supposed to fight back in last July at UFC 251. So to give you an idea, we're up to UFC 258. So we've gone through seven pay-per-views since these guys were originally supposed to fight. Um, it's funny. You talked about the salaries and the Vegas odds. Usman's 9,000 on DraftKings and minus 280. The reason those numbers are so high is just simply because how good Usman is. It, it's nothing against Burns. Gilbert Burns has been terrific. He's done more than his fair share to earn this shot. Um, and, you know, I really believe this is the best fight the company can make at 170 pounds right now. But um, Kamar Usman has quickly and dominant in a very dominant fashion turned into one of the best fighters in the sport. Um He'll try to run his winning streak, winning streak, excuse me, to 17 in a row. Um, he is a perfect 12 and 0 in the UFC. Included in there wins over Damian Maya, Leon Edwards, Rafael dos Anjos, Jorge Masvidal, Kobe Covington, and Tyron Woodley. So Usman has beaten everybody there is to beat at 170 pounds. Um, and how he does it is just fascinating. He averages 3.3 takedowns per 15 minutes and is yet to be taken down a single time in his career. So he's an exceptional wrestler. 
Um, he's very, very durable. Anytime he does get popped, he seems to walk through it. Kind of like Habib Nurmagomedov in that way, where if he does get hit on the feet, he just eats it and keeps pushing forward. Um, and Usman will turn 34 years old in May, but hasn't shown the least bit any signs whatsoever of slowing down. Now, he gets an opponent, Gilbert Burns, who's 34 years old himself, and really a move back up to move up to um welterweight i should say from lightweight back last august august 2019 really turned gave burns new life he was a good fighter at lightweight but he wasn't the force he's become at welterweight um i think he's legit you know um we've seen a bunch of fighters you talked about charles all there earlier tony ferguson's another example it seems to be happening more and more lately how these guys who as they age, and I'm not talking late 30s, early 40s, but, you know, 32, 33, 34, these guys age, they get more reps, and they get better. And Burns definitely falls into that category. And the biggest difference is, or the biggest improvement, I should say, has come on the feet. You know, Gilbert Burns has been viewed as one of the best mat specialists in the sport since he, end, since he joined the UFC. But his improvements on the feet and in the striking has really been the difference. And in many ways, that was kind of what we said with Henry Cejudo back in his early early years. Cejudo obviously was a world-class wrestler, but and all he really needed to do was get his striking game to just solid average. Now, he doesn't have to be the best striker in the company. If he can just get it to average, he's a legitimate title contender, and that's what Cejudo did, and he obviously won melts, belts excuse me, in multiple divisions, and it's kind of a similar case with Burns. He got it to solid average. His hands are definitely faster offensively, and he's getting hit less in return. His footwork's better. He just looks improved. Um, I think in many ways it, it's a shame because I think he's just going up here against a guy and a champion in Usman who is really just that good. Um, I'm interested in Burns in a from a DraftKings standpoint simply because you rarely get a fighter at $7,200 who is as talented as he is. But it's going to be diff- – I think it's going to be difficult for him to win this fight. Now, um, this is a little strange because I, I could see a, a scenario in which Usman just blows Burns out of the water. And we look back on it and we go, wow, you're going to tell me there wasn't somebody – you know, there wasn't a better option than this. And then I could see a scenario where Burns you know, keeps it fairly – close and fairly tight for 25 minutes and they end up going on decision so um it could kind of go either way but the eighteen hundred dollars and eighteen hundred dollar difference in salary makes me lean towards burns from a dk perspective but it's i can't bet on him to win outright yeah yeah i, I mean i see where you're coming from there a little bit here the the value of course, lies with uh, Burns a little bit because, like you said, you never see a fighter that cheap. However, you know you got to be in the business of picking winners here eventually, and I'm quite, quite confident that Usman can get this done. I mean, you line up their stats from UFC.com next to each other, and literally every single stat goes in the direction of Usman. I mean, every striking and grappling mark, with the lone exception, Burns attempts a handful more submissions. You know, Usman's not so much of a submission grappler as Burns is, but every striking and every other wrestling stat pretty much lies in the favor of Usman, as does height, as does reach, as does age. Um, I mean, just all of these things, um, they they come together for Usman. And, And not only that, 
he's been an excellent fantasy scorer. Like, uh, even if this fight does go to a decision, uh, in a decision against Masvidal, remember new DraftKings scoring system now, he put up 156. Decision against Woodley, 168. Decision against Rafael Dos Santos, of course, 12 takedowns is not something that you can uh, count on in, in any fight necessarily, 195. Now, looking at that fight log, I think the fight against Covington compares a little bit more um, to this fight against Burns, and that was his lower score of 130 because... Uh, I mean, Usman got a couple of takedowns, but, uh, you know, he got the finish. He didn't rack up a massive amount of control time. And against most people, the control time is where Usman will probably get a lot of his points. And he might not necessarily get that against Burns. Even though the takedown defense, surprisingly, it's only 50% for Burns. But he's been a lot better, a lot, lot tighter on that lately here. So I don't want to knock him on that for too much but this is one where i can see them both maybe attempting takedowns not having success and it plays out on the feet a little bit more like the covington matchup and if that is indeed the case um and usman doesn't get that quick stop then you can you can throw burns out there hoping for you know 80 90 significant strikes in maybe a cash game lineup as one of the underdogs here so you're not taking a wild shot on one of these other big underdogs maybe get a knockout you know there's there's a safer floor there but uh the exposure for me is going to be much much heavier to usman and I think that's just how it has to be. Yeah, it's just the thing for me was I think part of it, my interest in Burns being greater than normally would would be, which we'll talk about in a second. There's not a lot of there's not a ton of depth on this card. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not as much depth on this card as you usually see in most pay per views. So um, you're gonna if you don't use Burns, you're gonna end up with fighters in your lineup that you don't know a ton about you're not as confident about and i mean that's that's just how it's going to be no matter what you do it's, yeah it's I mean, even more so if you use Usman. yeah so a sneak peek for later in the card there are actually a couple guys i kind of like on the undercard and maybe some underdogs in that position and and there's a there's a leverage play there where maybe you grab guys from the early prelims that aren't necessarily televised not what people are rushing in to tune into and you get a little bit of leverage on the field if those guys pop off the prime example being Ode Osborne last week, you know, he comes out on the early prelims. I was still, you know, I'll be honest, I was, you know, just getting going from a nap and missed some of those first couple fights here. And then, of course, I had to go back and watch and see what Ode did and, uh, and, you know, people kind of slept on that. You know, they maybe overlooked him a little bit uh, in that spot. So uh, definitely don't discount the prelims entirely. There might be a couple dogs that we get to uh, that could maybe bark later on in the show. But any final thoughts on Usman Burns? I think that breakdown's pretty straightforward. Yeah, it is. I, I think it's going to be fairly competitive. Um, I, I don't think Usman's going to dominate um, Burns like he did Tyron Woodley or, mm-hmm. you know, vice versa. But uh, it's a, it's. It, I think it's I, the best fight. They can certainly make it welterweight at the moment. You know, mm-hmm. will it turn into the best fight when all said and done? You know, we'll see. But for the moment, I think it's the most intriguing fight the UFC can make at 170 pounds. You've got 10 lineups. Would you stack this fight in one of them? You might be able to do it in one. Um, you know, I, I don't think I don't see this one ending quickly. So um, we say all the time, you know, it's not. It rarely works. It, it, it takes a lot for a stack to work out. But mm-hmm. if it pretty much only ten, works if it's a Max Holloway fight. Yeah, and if you take, <laughs> you know, if you're gonna make ten fight, ten lineups and you want to do it once, I, I probably wouldn't do it for a ton of money. You know, mm-hmm. the odds are the odds of it working out are small. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not talking the worst like the mini idea max in the world. or something. Yeah. Okay, right on. All right, so we can move on to this one. A co-main event. We were supposed to have a Weidman fight. Unfortunately, that fight uh, got scrapped here. What we do have is a women's flyweight fight between a couple of, uh, you know, names that aren't going to, you know, 
turn a ton of heads their way yet, but a couple of prospects in this division to look out for. Macy Barber's back after a 13-month uh, absence due to injury. She's taking on Alexa Grasso, uh, you know, one of the most marketable Mexican-born fighters, I believe, in the uh, you know on the roster here. I, I just remember always seeing her hold up the flag here. Grasso, 8,300. Barber, 7,900. Grasso, a slight favorite at minus 140. Comeback on Barber, plus 120. Odds to finish here are plus 175, so chances are we may not see a finish but i suppose you never know here um how are you handling this one from a DraftKings perspective here uh you know co-main event you're going to be sneaking up there towards the end uh where's the value at here i think the value is on barber but it's it, i'm not overly confident about it um like you mentioned macy barber's coming off an injury been on the sidelines for the better part of 13 months so we're looking over a year for her um Barber's last fight was a unanimous decision loss to Roxanne Mataferi um, in a major upset. Barber, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but Barber was a massive favorite in that fight. And she didn't just lose. She got obliterated. That fight was not close. She closed um, at about minus 1,000. It was. I knew it was, it was up there. And it was not close. And how f- much better Mataferi looked than Barber on the feet was really, really, really concerning. Um I mean, Barbara, the injury, though, she suffered the injury in the fight. That has to have something to do with how you take you outlook this. You know, you blow your knee out early on. I don't know the exact moment if it didn't happen until the third round or if it, you know, if it happened early in the fight. But that definitely plays into my breakdown of this. It certainly does. I mean, the law uh, and I was just going to say the loss over the long term doesn't mean anything. Barbara is still Macy Barber is 22 years old. She won't be 23 years of age till May. So I've said before, and I actually I honestly believe it. It's at the point where she's so young. All that matters is that she continues to fight on a regular basis, remains healthy, and just get reps. You know, that's all that matters at that age. But if you want to look at it from a technical standpoint, from what we've seen from Macy Barber in the past is she has a lot of power and she's crazy aggressive, but she has technical issues. Like, you know, she she has a bunch of things she needs to correct and you know, I think most of it is correctable with age and experience and reps, but her, I think her biggest uh, her biggest struggles at this point are just technical. I think she's over aggressive at times. I think she pushes forward when she doesn't need to push forward. Um, I think there's just things that need to be fixed. Now she's going up an opponent in Alexa Grasso, who, you know, on paper is certainly better than Roxanne Mataferi. Um, but then you dig a little deeper, and you know it's not as rosy as it looks. Grasso's has fought seven times in the UFC. She's alternated wins and losses in all seven fights. She's generally beat up lesser competition and struggled against better fighters. Um, the long-term problem for Grasso is going to be her lack of power. She's a Muay Thai specialist in the vein of like a Joanna Young Jacek in the sense that it's a lot of volume and not a lot of volume and a lot of combinations, but not a lot of stopping power. Um, Grasso doesn't have a stoppage win with the UFC and three of her four knockouts came in her first three pro fights. So I don't think that's a skill that's going to translate moving forward. Grasso, I mean, every woman in this division is not big, but Grasso's small and she's slight. And I don't think you're going to suddenly see this string of finishes start to materialize. Um, I ended up taking Barber. Um, outright, you know, 79. So you save $400 in salary, 
and you get a little bit of juice on the Vegas odds at plus 120. Um, this is really essentially just a pick 'em for me. Um, I'm essentially just going with the physicality of Barber over Grasso. I, I think that's her main advantage. I think I trust Grasso's ability to implement a game plan a little bit more and stick to what might work as far as this particular fight. But um, this is essentially a pick 'em, and like we mentioned earlier, I don't have a ton of underdogs I like, so mm-hmm. I'll take the four hundred hours I save on salary and go with uh, go with Barber. Yeah, you know, I was back and forth on this fight. Ultimately, I'm going to kind of take the easy way out, the neutral way. You know, I'll, I'll take full blame for that. I'm going to pick Grasso. You're going to see Grasso next to my name when staff picks come out a little bit later this week. Hopefully, I think we're going to do it tomorrow. Um, so Grasso will be my my pick. And the main reason is, uh, one, body of work thing. You look at the records side by side, I think Grasso's caliber of competition is definitely stronger here. Any kind of, you know, I'm obviously in college basketball mode right now. Any kind of strength of record thing goes uh, in the direction of Grasso for me. Plus, and I don't necessarily care for fighters coming off injuries too much, especially like a serious knee reconstruction here, 13 months on the sidelines. Usually, uh, again, when everything, when all else is equal, I'll bet against the fighter coming off a long injury layoff here because, you know, we mentioned she's 22 years old. She's got plenty of great days um, ahead of her here. Uh, and yeah, I, I like what Barbara brings to the table, and I think long term she's going to be just fine. But it was her first professional loss here, and you know she, she her knee was battered pretty hard, and you know a vet pretty much pieced her up there. So uh, again, at twenty two, you don't know how you're going to respond to that kind of adversity here. So. There's more question marks with Barber uh, than Grasso for me, so I'm going to pick Grasso. All right. That being said, I think. I agree with you in saying that Barber is the better DraftKings play here. I mean, she knocked out Jillian Robinson, knocked out uh, Robertson, excuse me, knocked out J.J. Aldrich, knocked out Jan- Hannah Cyphers, got a knockout on the Contender Series to earn her way in the UFC. Barber is a finisher, and Grasso is not. So the DraftKings ceiling, you could argue, argue is, ha- is higher for Barber than it is for Grasso. You look at the uh, first round finish odds here um it's funny that uh you know grasso is the minus 140 betting favorite but if you look at round one finishing prop barber plus 750 grasso plus 1600 grasso out of all of the people that we have finishing odds for grasso is dead last in chances of getting a finish so while i like grasso to win a decision here um if you're trying to plan out your player pool on DraftKings, good it's got to have more barber in it oh absolutely it's just there's not it's just Alexa Grasso's style of fighting is just not particularly conducive to fantasy success. It's just she's just she doesn't she doesn't rack up finishes and she just she doesn't have a ton of power and she's obviously not a grappler. So um, it's really hard to find where that consistent fantasy production would come from there. Mm-hmm. Right on. So I think we can move on here. Uh, middleweight fight, Kelvin Gastelum versus Ian Heinish. I like this fight a lot, actually. This should be a very interesting fight that's played out largely on the feet. Um, but let's get down to the uh, the meat and bones here. Gastelum, 8,800 on DraftKings. Heinish, 7,400. Gastelum, a minus 240 betting favor. Comeback on Heinish, plus 190. Odds to finish are above plus 175. So, I mean... The one thing I'll interject right here to say the one thing that I noticed when I was posting your preview and I you know was typing in the odds to finish here on this fight there are very few fights that look like it's going to go or that 
pretty much all of these fights, except for a couple here, seems like it's going to end uh, in the hands of the judges. Of course, that's not uh, not a great sign. Part of that, I imagine, is going back to Las Vegas from, or I'm sorry, actually, Las Vegas has the shorter cage now that I think about it. So Vegas still has that smaller cage at the Apex Center. You would think you'd see a little bit more favorable odds to finish here, but uh, definitely not the case with this one. Anyway, not to get too sidetracked here, uh, Gaslam Heinish. I'm looking for a striking battle here, not not expecting a ton of grappling here, but uh, both these guys seem durable enough to make it to the final bell. Uh, I guess do you agree with that, John, and who do you got in this one? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think this guy will probably go the distance. Um, it's really kind of essentially a must win for Kelvin Gaslam, which is pretty hard to believe. Um, Gaslam enters having lost three straight. Now, the losses came against Israel Adesanya, the current UFC middleweight champion, in a fight that was voted fight of the year by many people So in, back in 2019. Mm-hmm. That he, he had his chances in. I will he's, say, he's the first person in the last couple of years since Adesanya's been champion that has actually had him on his heels a little bit. Yep, very competitive fight the whole way through. Um, then he dropped a split decision to Darren Till. And then he was submitted by Jack Hermanson in his most recent fight last July in like about what, 88 seconds or so, just over a minute. Yeah, um, yanked up a heel hook in that one, I believe. Yep. Kevin Gaslam's really good. He's always been really good. Um, he's underrated, and I actually think he's kind of getting overlooked a bit here. Um, you know, the salary's not cheap at 8800 but um, I expect a strong performance from Gaslam here. Um, it's interesting. Heinrich, Ian Heinrich is two inches taller, has a very slight one-inch reach hedge. But I certainly think Kelvin's the better boxer. Gaslam has always, for the duration of his UFC run, been one of the best in the division, and really in any division, at going to the body. He consistently peppers the body, makes a point of it every single time he fights. And then he has a background in wrestling. Um, he doesn't use it a ton, um, but it's there. You know, We talk about guys like Justin Gaethje, who you know, were excellent wrestlers growing up and in college, but really shelve that part of their game in MMA. Um, Gaslam's kind of similar, but it's there if he needs it. Um, Ian Heinish is an interesting guy. Um, he he had a really quick two-fight losing streak, and then he picked up a really quick 74-second knockout over Gerald Mishart last June to snap that. Heinish has kind of been up and down during his UFC run. Fought okay, looked pretty good against some weaker competition, and struggled against some better guys. Heinish has some explosiveness in shorter spurts, has some power. Um, he just doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who is going to run off any real extended winning streak anytime soon. I think what we've seen from Heinish at this point is kind of what you're going to get. You'll probably get a couple of strong performances here and there. You'll get a couple stinkers. But I really think Kelvin Gaslam is getting underrated in this spot more from – I would guess a Vegas odds at minus 240. I would think um, as far as just pure ability, he's probably should be a little higher than that. Um, but I like him. I really don't even hate him at 8,800. Um, because the one thing you can say about Gaslam is his durability is legendary. It takes a ton to get Kevin Gaslam out of there. And I really don't see a scenario in which Ian Heinish outpoints Gaslam for 15 minutes. So if you think Gaslam is going to be able to to win a boxing match or whatever this turns into. Um, and then you don't think Heinish is going to be able to secure a stoppage because of Gaslam's durability. Then I think Kelvin's a pretty easy pick. Um, I could certainly see this going to the final bell and 
I'll ultimately take Kelvin via decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with Gaslam too. I didn't really have to think about this too much here after looking at both fighters and their body of work recently, even with the losing streak for Gaslam. Um, there's just there's a lot to like here. He's a well-rounded, great fighter who I think is you know despite the recent losses, he's every bit could be a couple wins away from another from a, being in the title conversation again. Uh, the one thing I'll say with Gaslam though is it's a it's a cash game play for me more than uh, uh, GPPs. You know if you're if you're new to DFS, Gaslam's the kind of guy you play in in double ups and fifty fifty and head-to-heads you know not necessarily the kind of uh, fighter that you play if you're trying to you know um, if you max enter of course you want him but you know if you're trying to take down the uh, $150,000 top prize with only one bullet here chances are I I don't really like using Gaslam in that type of context here just because he hasn't uh, he hasn't been much of a finisher you know dating back to every fight DraftKings lists on his game log all the way back to 2015 he scored only 100 DraftKings points once here and you usually the general rule of thumb is you want to get uh, 12x to uh, really be in contention out of your out of your fighters here to win GPPs so you know I at 12x, you need at, at 8,800, that would mean you need 105.6 DraftKings points. He's only done that once uh, you yeah, know, since I, 2015. And I also think there's a pretty decent chance he's going to be pretty highly owned. We talked about the lack of depth on this card, and I think he's going to be one of the more popular guys. Yeah. As far as as far as name recognition goes, looking at this card from up to down after that main event, yeah, Gaslam is definitely one of the guys due largely to that fight of the year performance. So, yeah, I'm taking Gaslam. I feel really good about it. I think he gets a nice, clean 80, 85 fantasy points in a decision win. Uh, will that be part of the optimal lineup for GPPs? Most likely not. But will it help you, uh, you know, get a safe get a safe uh, win at 8,800. Yeah, that's, that's where I'm going with this one. So um, anything else to add on this one? No, I mean, I would look at that. I would, you know, if you're looking at it from a Vegas point of view, you know, maybe if you really like Gaslam, maybe you parlay him with, you know, one of the underdogs you think, you know, maybe we like, maybe you parlay him with Macy Barber, or, you know, so, so a couple other guys we'll talk about in a little while. Yeah, I mean, or, or you just parlay him with some of the other big favorites here. Like, I don't really think Bobby Green's going to lose. I don't really think Usman's going to lose. You know, I don't really think... Uh, Adolfo Vieira is going to lose, so you could parlay him with any of those guys and get the number back to around minus you know one forty, one fifty instead of paying that uh, minus two thirty price tag for gasoline. So that's really the way that you kind of got to go about this one here. Um, all right, so with that in mind, uh, we got to move on to the battle of what I think is the battle of some of the best nicknames in the UFC. We like to note individual nicknames from time to time, but collectively in one fight, we've got Mackie Coconut Bombs Patolo against Julian Marquez, a.k.a. the Cuban Missile Crisis. So just a couple of excellent nicknames there. They are both very good, yes. Marquez at 8,700 on DraftKings, 7,500 for Patolo. Uh, Marquez minus 165, uh, and the comeback on Patolo is plus 145. The thing with this fight is, is you there's not a big sample size on either of these fighters. You don't know a ton about either of these fighters, but when you look at the odds to finish collectively, minus 170, I mean, this is pretty much uh, one of just a few fights that Vegas is pretty clearly thinking is going to end in somebody getting stopped. So from that point of view, I think you want a piece of this. You want to make a stand here in your fantasy lineup here, but uh, I'm going to pass it over to you, John, and... Uh, any notes on this fight? Anything that's going to lead you to your pick uh, in general? Uh, not really. I mean, this is a tough one. We talked about this briefly off air before we came on. Um, you know, th- this is not the best pay-per-view opener the UFC has ever put on. You know, there's no, you know, we're not telling you anything you don't already know. Um, 
Maki Patolo will be trying to avoid his fourth defeat in his first five UFC bouts. Um, he uh, was on Dana White's Contender Series. Actually, both these guys were on the Contender Series. Mm-hmm. Um, picked up a knockout win and has struggled since officially joining the roster. Um, based on what we've seen from Patolo, uh, which plays into the minus 170 odds to finish, he's uber-aggressive, um, has some pop. Pop's probably legitimate, pop in his hands, but the defense is questionable. It's not great. And he's going up a guy against an opponent, Marquez, who's bigger and probably has even more power. And that's concerning. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you fl- go to the flip side. You look at Marquez. You're looking at a guy who hasn't fought in two and a half years, more than two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, Julian Marquez's most recent fight came back in July 2018. He dropped a split decision to Alessio DiCirico. My one thing about Marquez is I've always been intrigued by his frame. He's six foot two. He has some power. So in middleweight division, he has some attributes to work with. Um, I would guess, without saying in a ton of confidence, I would think this would probably deteriorate into like a senseless all-out brawl fairly mm-hmm. quickly, if I had to guess. Yep. Um, I would think that would probably favor Marquez. From what we've seen so far, that's been the kind of fight he excels in. So I'm going to take him. And you're right. It's it's a little bit of a catch-22 here because this fight pr- looks like it's going to end quickly. So you're right about that in the sense that you want to get a piece of that somehow. Um, on the other hand, we obviously have considerably less information on these two guys than we do about most everybody we've already talked about. You know, mm-hmm. it would it would have been even more so had um, you know the Weidman Uriah Hall fight and then. Um, what the Jimmy Rivera fight both, you know, if, if those things didn't get postponed, you might be able to look elsewhere, but now, you know, you kind of got to make your stand somewhere and I'm with you in the sense that this looks like this one could end quick. So I'll take Marquez. Um, but again, it's probably more a sense of not being impressed with what I've seen with from Patolo. And I'm not like you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. with Macy Barber, Macy Barber's, you know, been out a, a little over a year. Julian Marquez has been out two and a half years, mm-hmm. so I'm not crazy about it, but that's probably the way I would go. Yeah, this is another one. I feel like I'm taking the capo or out of too many times on the show, but I got to go with Marquez as the pick. Uh, the larger frame I like, although Patolo does have a slight reach advantage. Um, you know, I like the larger frame. Um, I, I think that, again, it's been a long time since we've seen him, but I think overall uh, the the I've seen more you know, different skills for Marquez, especially uh, when it comes to being able to uh, throw some submissions up and see how that goes. Uh, you know, again, only three UFC fight sample size, but he's averaging three submissions attempted per, per 15 minutes. So I like that about him. Um, and I think that Marquez probably has more paths to victory and is a fine play on DraftKings too. You know, I mentioned those first round finish props, um, especially with DraftKings giving away that gone in 60 seconds bonus. Now uh, the first round finish prop becomes all the more important to look at and uh, behind Adolfo Vieira, Julian Marquez is the second best first round finishing prop on the entire card at plus 430. That being said, Patolo has the sixth best first round finishing prop on the entire card at plus 650. So this is one where if you're making your lineups and you haven't already used Marquez and you really need a dog to throw in there to just make you actually be able to feel the lineup here for this card, 
throw Patolo in there. You know, you never know. It's been, uh, you know, the last time we saw Marquez was July 6th of 2018, losing to DiCirico via split decision. And that was far from a perfect fight. You know, he didn't fight a perfect fight there. He, um, you know, maybe you could call that he got the wrong end of that split decision, but, you know, he got touched up a little bit in that fight. And if Coconut Bombs, like his nickname suggests, connects with any of those bombs, you know, that ring rust could come around and, uh, you know, we could see a knockout. It would shock me zero if Coconut Bombs here was able to connect, which is why I don't think he's a half-bad DraftKings play. And as I'm tinkering around with lineups, having to pick some people in those lower 7,000 ranges... He shows up quite a bit, you know, maybe more than I'd like, but uh, he's a GPP fighter and I think one that has to be considered. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those like risk reward things, you know, we'd probably be having a different conversation if we saw more of, um, if we saw more of Marquez, Mm -hmm. but we haven't. So given what we know and you trying to, you know, anybody trying to save some money, it's not a terrible idea to bet against the guy who spent two and a half years on the sidelines. It's yeah. just yeah. ring rust that we talk about all the time, ring rust or octagon rust, whatever you want to call it. Despite what Dominic Cruz says, it is real. It just does look, exist. Just look, like, just look at how Connor looked last week, and that yep. was only one year on the sideline. Now we're yep. talking two and a half years. I think I got the, the actual number of days here. I'm going to look that up real quick. I've got that in front of me. It's been 900. By the time Saturday rolls around, it will have been 953 days since Marquez got in the octagon, whereas Patolo, again, you know, experience is experience, I guess you could say. Um, what does Loki say that in the Avengers? You know, uh, he's been losing, but at least he's been in there. And, uh, you know, you think he has a decent feel for it. So I'll have some I'll have some exposure to Patolo in this fight. Um, maybe, you know, for the same reason, you could make a case that Marquez is a leverage play because a lot of people will just be going for the underdog and what they see as a pick in a wild brawl. And, you know, if Marquez gets it, you get a lower-owned guy maybe. Um, but I would put Patolo probably around 18 to 20% owned or higher. I don't know. It's, it's it's always tough to predict ownership, but I think I think people are going to be on him, and I think he's got an okay chance to pay off just because there aren't a lot of options. But speaking of money-saving options here, um, you said you don't like a lot of underdogs on this card. Did anyone in particular maybe stand out to you outside of the fights that we've discussed? You're, there aren't a ton um, that I thought I liked outright. Um, a couple, I guess, if I had to look a little closer – um, I hate to say it, but um, I don't hate Jim Miller at 7,300 only because I think Bobby Green at 8,900 is overpriced. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it just it's just a risk reward thing for me. I don't think there's any scenario where at this point in their careers, Bobby Green is $1,600 more in salary than Jim Miller. Um, I certainly can't pick Miller to win outright. Um, essentially Miller can't win anything other than a ground battle these days. Mm-hmm. And those are impossible to predict. You're hoping but, he just clamps onto that guillotine yeah, real early yeah. when they're dry and not so sweaty and that he can squeeze yeah. and maybe put them away. Yeah. And you know, Bobby green is not, you know, you know, Bobby green is, you know, ridiculously aggressive and is not prone to, uh, you know, implementing and changing his game plans from fight to fight. You know, he goes after his opposition. Mm-hmm. Maybe Jim Miller can do something with that. A um, couple other ones or one other one other one that I actually um, didn't pick. I didn't pick Jillian Robertson outright because I thought she's going to struggle with the physicality of Miranda Maverick. But 
Um, Robertson at 7,700 intrigues me some only because Miranda Maverick has a dozen pro fights under her belt. And she's another one, a little bit like Macy Barber in the sense that she's really, really aggressive. And when you watch her fight, she makes mistakes. Now, um, while Barber's more like a physical striker, Maverick is more of like a strength, like grappler type who just powers forward. So, you know, I don't like Robertson enough to better outright, but again, you're saving eight hundred dollars in salary. Maverick's mm-hmm. five hundred, Robertson seventy seven hundred. So that's another one I didn't think was terrible. Yeah, I don't uh I don't like Maverick so much on DraftKings at eighty five hundred. Uh FanDuel salaries weren't out when we uh when we put this, but she's uh someone that's a little more interesting on FanDuel where they give points for takedowns defended. So I could see it there perhaps because uh you know Barbara's gonna shoot takedowns. That's her path to victory in this. I mean Maverick blows her out of the water pretty much in almost all striking numbers, you know, volume and accuracy and defense. So Robertson's best path best path to victory here is to shoot takedowns and try to try to pass guard and and maybe try to work some kind of submission and uh that would be yeah, that would be the way that I imagine her camp is gonna teach her to do that. So um in that case, yeah, I guess I could see Robertson. I could see that there for you. Um, I got a couple I want to throw out there for you, John. Um, one is, you know, I'm always on the hunt for the for the line value, especially on these undercards. Uh, you got to think about Gabe Green um, in this one going up against Phil Rowe. Gabe Green is minus 140 betting favorite but he's only eight thousand on DraftKings, so you're getting some line value there it's just a matter of how much do you think he's actually going to score so that's one that you have to think about and also the fact you know you mentioned that days thing roe hasn't had a pro a pro fight in 543 days so there's a layoff there here um so maybe a little bit of a mispricing there and then one kind of wild card one that maybe i'm on this but uh i don't know if i'm going to be very popular on this I kind of like Brian Boom Kelleher going up against Ricky Simone here. Again, you're looking for finishers for those GPPs and optimal lineups here. And I don't know, ever since I know Simone has bounced back, you know, over his last few fights, he's been pretty respectable of late here, but I still can't shake that image of Uriah Faber not having a knockout for six, eight something years and then coming in and knocking out, uh, and then knocking out Ricky Simone and Brian Kelleher. That's pretty much what he does is he stops people um, at at this featherweight division. And the other thing is, is, you know, we got the small cage. So the odds of a featherweight getting a knockout are a little bit uh, larger here. Uh, you go back, you know, a few fights here for Kelleher. His losses were all quality losses. Cody Stammen was supposed to fight last weekend. He was a huge favorite last weekend. Uh, lost to, you know, John Hands of Steel. Lineker, I think, what was it, Hands of Steel something, or am I thinking of somebody else? John, anyway, uh, Hands yeah, of Stone, is, Hands of Stone, hands that's of stone, what it is. Yes. Um, the and, then, and then he lost him on Tell Jackson, who was you know, he was a pretty huge prospect. I'll give him that. And he's got a win against, you know, Odie Osborne keeps coming up. He had that huge knockout, and uh, Kelleher finished him in the first round, and he's got that knockout against Hunter Azure, and he's got a knockout, a fir- I'm sorry, a first-round submission against Ray Rodriguez just back in September. I, Kelleher's a finisher, man, and uh, Ricky Simone's the younger up-and-coming guy, but I, don't, I wouldn't overlook Kelleher as a, uh, as a plus 205 dog here and and even better um the dude is 7100 on DraftKings so he's just one of the outright one of the cheapest dudes on DraftKings that is a finisher and I think might be able to do something maybe that's a stretch but uh I'll definitely 
be above the field on Boom Kelleher. He's treated me well in the past, and I'm going to go back to that well. Yeah, no, that's definitely reasonable. I mean, the only, not surprisingly, it's kind of going to sound like a cop-out because I think they're, they might be the two lowest-priced fighters on the undercard. But the two fighters I have zero interest in are Anthony Hernandez against Rodolfo Vieira and Diego Lima against Bilal Muhammad. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know it sounds like a cop-out because they're also the biggest underdogs on the card. But There's a reason are, for that. Yeah, there is. I think those those are the two I wouldn't um, – even if I'm in a salary jam, I, I wouldn't go that route. Anyone else on the undercard, I'd be willing, you know, to make to uh, have a listen for. But those two are pro- are the two I would pass on. Mm-hmm. So I don't have first round props yet for uh, Bilal Muhammad. Um, but if we're trying to do a first round finish prop here uh, and trying to hunt that gone in sixty second bonus on DraftKings here, I mean. Adolfo Vieira plus 115. The next highest is Julian Marquez plus 430. I mean, I I think I, I agree with that. Adolfo Vieira should go in. He's got almost four times better odds than anybody else in that first round pick. You know, I don't. I'm not necessarily going to watch the film there. I'll just do the math and and I'll take that. He seems like a guy. I found enough underdogs that I can use Vieira. Is he your favorite for the gone in 60 seconds prop, or do you think uh, you got <laughs> yeah. anybody else you're on on alert here? Nah, probably him. You know, I certainly think Bilal Muhammad's going to win um, fairly easily, but he's not the kind of guy who is going in there and starching guys in 30 seconds. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I would take Vieja in that spot. Yep, I'm very much with you there. So, uh, all right, you know, we kind of r- ran down the big fights, gave you some underdogs to think about, gave you some first-round knockout, kind of high-priced heroes to think about here. Uh, you know, any final thoughts on this card before moving on? I mean, you know, there's not, you know, not a ton of depth. I would certainly, uh, if I was putting together my lineups, I would certainly take a uh, real strong look at the first three fights on the main card and then, uh, you know, kind of piece it together from there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And shoot for those finished props, you know, especially if you're trying to go home with 150K. That would be awesome. All right. Well, thanks again for listening to the Roto-Wire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. That's again brought to you by ESPN Plus, the home of UFC 258 here again follow john on twitter at j-o-n-l-i-t-t-e-r-i-n-e you can follow me on twitter at roto jake and we'll be back with you guys prior to ufc 259 blakovich adesanya triple header title fight that's going to be uh an excellent time on the show here so uh thanks for listening guys and take care